It is a, um, frankly, a great connection to tie together uh, fear and doubt and the idea of a faith that sticks in, uh, on days like this. And I say on days like this because as I was looking over at the choir, I, I loved it, but I got to tell you, I kept looking out the window. What, what is that color on the trees? Is that actually green? I was afraid and I doubted that we would ever see it again. Let's talk about sticky faith. And children of any age, from eight months to 88 years, but particularly our youth, as we send them off, they go out into a world that is more filled with doubt than filled with faith. And they do so at just the wrong time. And by that, I mean, for the first time in their lives, we are not around to help. For the first time in their lives, the church is not there. And for the first time in their lives, they are hearing things that are wildly different than they have heard ever since they grew up, whether that is in a philosophy class or a fraternity house, they are being inundated with a different culture. Leslie Newbigin writes of the modern university, we live in an age that favors doubt over faith. We speak of blind faith and we speak of honest doubt. But both faith and doubt can be honest or blind, and yet rarely are students taught of honest faith or blind doubt. But all of us have doubts. All of us have times where we struggle to believe. We've been talking about that for two or three weeks now, in part because Even if you're not in a season filled with doubts, you are surrounded by people who are saying one thing or looking one way on the outside and the inside, they struggle to believe this stuff. And if we are ever honest enough and courageous enough to open our hearts and open our minds and open our mouths and tell somebody else that we have doubts, if you hear somebody sharing their doubts with you, you know, I wonder if God really does hear my prayers. I, I question sometimes that Jesus could really be the, the only way. Do you ever think sometimes that we've got it all wrong? When somebody dares to talk to you like that, or you to them, I gotta tell you, I think we are standing on sacred ground. Because the very same facts that you hear from the pulpit here to encourage people's faith, inspire some of you and fill others of you with doubt and questions. Some of you have great reason to doubt because of the way that you have prayed and the pain that has come into your life. Some of you have doubts or many of your friends who don't come to church have doubts because of the way that the church has acted. Not what we have said, but how the people who claim to know God have acted and presented the faith given to the saints. So, if we want to have a faith that sticks, 
how do we teach ourselves so that we can teach our kids about honest faith, faith that does not have to fake it, and good doubt? Well, I I think that the way that that's done best is the way that the creator of the universe did. The, The God who made us, what he wanted to teach us something, told stories. And one of those stories is found in John's gospel. Toward the end, and it goes like this. Now, Thomas the twin, one of the twelve, wasn't with them when Jesus came back from the dead. So when the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, Thomas said, unless I see his hands and put my finger into the print of the nails, which shows that Thomas must have been at the crucifixion to see that, unless I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, Jesus' disciples were inside again, and Thomas was still with them. And Jesus came to them. The doors were shut, yet he stood in their midst and said, Peace to you. And then wouldn't you have loved to see the look on both of their faces? On both of their faces when he said, Thomas, look at my hands. Reach your hand here. Put it into my side. Don't be unbelieving, but be believing. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. In those famous words, Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's the story. Ever since that story was told, we've all been struggling to believe when we do not see. To have faith in something that's invisible. And that's why we have doubts. Sometimes doubts lead to truth. You ought to have questions about things that come up in your life, right? Otherwise, you're the person that P.T. Barnum talked about. There is a sucker born every minute. You'll fall for anything if you don't question some things. Those who follow God need to be unafraid to search for the truth wherever it leads them because God offers truth that we have to wrestle for and doubt. There is good doubt, but there are other doubts that paralyze you the same way that they paralyzed Thomas. Some of you have had a faith that's been shaken because your faith was built brick by brick by brick by brick by brick, and then one of the bricks was pulled out, and you didn't have a bunch of bricks. You had a house of cards that fell down, like Matt talked a couple weeks ago about. Some of you have been wrestling and wrestling with your doubts for so long that you are tired. Thomas became paralyzed by his doubts and was afraid to go outside Thomas found that doubt is a good servant, but it's a terrible master. Because the opposite of doubt is not belief. The opposite of doubt is not getting your facts straight. The opposite of doubt is not belief, but choosing something different. Choosing instead of doubting. If doubt paralyzes, choosing moves us. When the man... 
with the very sick boy came to Jesus and said, can you help him? And Jesus says, if you believe. He goes, I do believe. I want to believe. Help me believe. He wasn't saying, tell me the facts differently. Teach me how to pass the test. He was saying, help me to trust you so I can put him in your hands. Help me. A famous saint once said, God cannot show us the stars unless we are willing to creep out of the darkness. That's what faith is. Faith is believing just enough to keep creeping out of the darkness. Thomas, just like you, just like me, had doubts, but he was honest enough about his doubts to say, this is what it'll take for me to creep out of the darkness. And and right from the start, he knew what he needed to know, right? Thomas knew, he told other people, this is what it'll take for me to believe, unless I see him. Unless I put my hands in his side, I won't believe. He needed to have clarity about what he needed to know. The second thing Thomas does with his doubts is he stays around people who would reinforce a credible faith that was being lived out. One of the toughest things for our kids is they go away and their heads and their hearts are filled with doubts and they look around and they feel alone. There's no one living out the faith that will encourage them. Thomas stuck around the other disciples. And then it says that Thomas acted on what he learned. When some, not all, but some of his doubts were answered, he said, my Lord and my God, and his hope came to life again. Now, I often feel that my job is to offer human beings credible hope so they can keep on with the journey. I think about hope a lot. Hope is huge. Hope comes in a couple of different flavors, though. Most of the time, hope means I'm hoping for something to happen. But sometimes, hope means I hope she shows up. I hope I can trust him. We either hope for something or we hope in someone. Usually, it's I hope for, right? I hope I get that job. I hope I get that house. I hope I get that girl. I hope I get that girl and she gets that job and we get that house. (laughs) Sometimes the things we hope for are just parking spots. But sometimes we hope for life and death. I hope this depression lifts. I hope it's not cancer. But one day, it will be. If not cancer, then something else that we never hoped for. And then faith and doubt take on a whole new meaning. I've been, uh, not morose, but I have been every single day since Easter thinking, one of my very best friends is Steve Hayner. Some of you have met Steve. He, he, he spoke here several years ago. Steve was the head of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, a bright, bright mind. He is the president of Columbia Seminary. And he and his wife came home from Easter, and he wasn't feeling good. He stopped feeling. Uh, he didn't feel better. And Tuesday, he went in after Easter, and they did a test. And the doctor said, I think it's cancer. I think you've got a little, tiny bit of cancer on the outside of the bile duct that leads into your pancreas. I think we can take care of that. 
a week later, they did the biopsy, and he uh, came, and uh, he told me, the doctor came out, and I could tell it wasn't good, and he said, it's inside the pancreas, and we found spots on the liver, and we can't do the operation. We can do other things, but Steve said, right then I knew that faith had, had changed for me. And I wrote him a little note, and I said, hey, pal, we're watching you. We're all, we're all watching you, and, and they're watching you. They're watching you stand at your post. Steve found that doubt is not answered by facts. He became Blaise Pascal, a brilliant Christian scholar. Blaise Pascal said that faith is more like making a bet than judging a debate. In a debate, you judge who's right and who's wrong, who's doing better and who's doing worse. Making a bet is different, and that's more like faith because in life, like making a bet, we have something riding on the outcome, right? We put something of value on this, and that also means that we have to choose. Sooner or later, you have to choose in life. Even if not making a choice, you've chosen. Doubt stops us from choosing. Steve now has to decide. He has to choose how he will spend the next days of his life. Doubt is a good servant, but it is a terrible master that offers nothing. You and I are never going to change. You're never going to grow. You're never going to learn if your doubts paralyze you in place. If you allow your questions to have a death grip and you never move. It's an interesting phrase. My doubts have a death grip on my life. It leads to death. That's why faith, frankly, is so often compared to the circus acts. One of our staff, uh, Sarah, said, I hate that. Because I said, I need a good picture of somebody on a trapeze. She goes, oh, you know, I hate the tra- I hate to go to the circus. I'm always, my heart's in my throat every time I see these crazy people doing that. Can you imagine you're swinging and they say, okay, let go now. And don't come to me. Come to that empty space in the air and I'll meet you there. That's what faith is like. Let go now and go to that empty space and I'll meet you there. And the people who let go are you and me. Trying, in spite of our doubts, oh, never, 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 okay. Trying to let go and fly through the air to an empty space. The people who do that in the circus are called the flyers for an obvious reason. They're going to fly for a while. What happens next? The people in the circus who are the stars are the flyers, but the people who are the most important in the circus are the catchers. I want my catcher to look like that. (laughs) Only bigger. They have to hang upside down, sometimes with blindfolds on, swing back and forth, and catch a flying person, and their hands better not be sweaty. So they fill them with chalk. You and I are trying to have hands that stick, a sticky faith. And we are trying to let go of the death grip that we have on our doubts and fly in the prayer that somebody will catch us. 
just like Thomas. He says, you know what I'm going to need for a catcher? I'm going to need somebody who has holes in his hands and a cut in his side. That's the only one that I trust to catch me. Back to sticky faith. One of the things I learned about faith that sticks this week was uh, last Sunday, Laura and I went to a famous church in London, Holy Trinity Brompton. It's where this alpha movement started that all around the world people are learning about Christ because of the question and answer of alpha. And uh, we went to hear the preacher, Nicky Gumbel, and sure enough, we got there and he wasn't going to preach, of course. And... uh, you know the feeling, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, some of you just woke up because everybody else was laughing. But Gumble got up and he said, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago I was at a dinner party. He's Episcopalian. They can drink. I was at a dinner party and uh, I bumped into the Israeli ambassador to England. And we had a wonderful conversation. And this ambassador, Daniel Taub, is a lover of the book. He loves the same book we love. And so I asked him if he'd come here, and the sermon that day was an interview that Gumbel did with Ambassador Taub, who is a Jew and loves the Old Testament and taught it as God's word to all of us. And and at the end, he said, you know, for us Jews, for us Jews, faith is nurtured and faith is passed on to our kids not primarily in churches like this, not primarily in synagogues. Our faith is not really learned at the synagogue. Our faith is learned at the Sabbath table. He said, every week at the Sabbath, we gather around the Seder table and our kids see us and they watch us recite the story of how God comes and rescues his people. And that gives them faith and it inspires our faith. I thought it made them stick. For us, it's gathering around a different table. The table at home, the table at the restaurant, but this table. Especially celebrating the rescue of King Jesus. Reassuring ourselves that when we let go he will catch us, and when we get lost, he will find us, and when we fall, he will pick us up. This is the table where doubt meets love. Not answers, but love that will not ever let you go. Bring your doubts. Let Jesus give you faith. Lord God, I thank you for this table, that it does not come with human eloquence or intellectual arguments that can batter away doubts. But you call to us to come here with our doubts and and with our questions and with our frailty. And you say, come here, and I won't always answer, but I will always feed you. Come here. And, And... And gather with the family as you watch me take the bread and break it and bless it again. And say, this is how much I will sacrifice to catch you. This is my body broken for you.
And when you feel that you will slip, he poured the wine into the, into the cup and said, this is my blood, my blood that will wash you clean and forgive you and give you hands to hold on. Lord God, I ask you to bless us as we come with our beliefs and our faith and our dreams and our doubts. I ask you to give us a holy meal together that will make our faith stick to our heads and our hearts and our hands. In your great name we ask, amen.